0: Would you gentlemen care to order your dinners? Bet, babe. Slide a piece of the polenta. drink
1: side run the Java. Look at here. I get dig grease and chomping on some buns and drag it into the garden. <laughs> Welcome to Misfit Apparitions, the podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm Don. And I'm Ernest. And we are your hosts for another journey to historical locations known in paranormal circles as being haunted. We can be reached at MisfitApparitions.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and our YouTube channel with the new handle at Misfit Apparitions. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider giving us a like or thumbs up and let others know about us. We would so much appreciate that, and it would go a long way with the team. You can also drop us an email at mappod at misfitapparitions.com. That's M-A-P-O-D at misfitapparitions.com. So before we begin tonight, we want to acknowledge Slovenian composer Rock Naderdin, whose portions of music from his title, The Mad Prince, play at the opening and sometimes closing of each episode. It's just really good music. How you doing
0: tonight, Ernest? I'm doing good, man. How you doing?
1: I'm trying to stay warm. Oh, I know. Yeah.
0: These temperatures just changed overnight.
1: Yeah, winter, at least a southeast Texas winter has arrived. Um, we had 80s yesterday.
0: Yeah, high of 81, and then last night was like 44.
1: Yeah, we won't see 80s for a while, um, and especially... Since we'll be traveling about 900 miles north of our current location to the state of Iowa, we'll, we'll be investigating the Velisca Axe Murder House and the Malvern Manor, both within two days. So tell be- us a little bit about the challenges await us at Velisca.
0: Well, the challenges, first thing is going to be it's going to be cold. Uh, you're looking at lows, 17, highs, 25. And both locations, um, at Villisca and at Melbourne, there's no power. There's no light. There's no heat, nothing. So, yeah, it's going to be a challenge. That's going to be a big challenge for us Texans.
1: Yeah, that, um, I don't know what to do. Um, My joints are already cold. And just being in a house for uh, the amount of time or locations without any heat, and you got to really fight the temptation to go to your car because, for one thing, we're, we've never been there before. And this place yeah. is so on the map uh, with a lot of paranormal people that you don't want to waste any kind of opportunity at all. So, challenges there with the weather. Um, we do have a heated restroom, I believe, in the barn. And that's it.
0: That's correct. Yeah. Just that's donut parked. That's it. Um, it's mean, heated.
1: I'm wondering if we'll all be fighting to see how many times we need to go and use the facility.
0: There will be no smoke breaks in the restroom.
1: No. Uh, Mike, our skeptic, says he's looking forward to just being outside. Yeah. So I'd like to see him, how long he'll last.
0: Exactly. I I mean, one, two hours maybe, but you're going to be out there for long, I mean, all night.
1: All night. And what are you going to do in a house that has no heat? You just... There might be a few degrees warmer in the house, but it's still going to be below freezing. So, the one good thing we're really looking forward to is our friend Ariel from Historically Haunted. She's the host of Historically Haunted. Uh, we've kind of been pen pals for I guess a year or two, and been listening to her podcast, both of us. And she does really good work. She does a really good research and. She's just on top of everything. So we hit her up at the beginning of the year or sometime about uh when we knew we were coming here, about hey, what about an interview while we're doing a a live investigation? And she's all for it. So we're totally looking forward to that. We're no recognize the challenges that were there, but dotting our I's and crossing our Ts to make sure everything's gonna be working and, and we're on top of all the uh, ahead of the technical issues that may occur so that'll be fun
0: yeah i'm looking forward to that
1: yeah that's um that's gonna be great i can't wait to to uh get that call it's gonna be a phone interview so and it'll air on her podcast yeah it'll Um, be
0: uh during our investigation there
1: yeah so who knows what can happen right maybe um crystal will hear something scream again there you go (laughs) (laughs) yes that'll be something all right um so today's episode goes way back all the way back to the early 18th century the location is Goliath, texas and the place presidio la bahia a fort that served the interests of four nations and is well known for its military cultural and religious importance yet is also home to a fair amount of paranormal activity and residual energy due to the battles and violence that took place there, most notably the Battle of Goliad in 1835 and the Goliad Massacre in 1836. Spanish for Fort on the Bay, Presidio La Bahia was built in 1721 upon French explorer Robert de la Salle's ill-fated Fort St. Louis along the western bank of the Garcitas Creek near present-day Port Lavaca for the purpose of preventing additional colonization attempts by the French. However, because of the difficulties with the Native American Caronquas, the fort relocated further inland in 1726 along the Guadalupe River in present-day Victoria. And for the next 23 years, Presidio La Bahia found success in cattle ranching and farming, becoming self-sufficient and able to supply plentiful food to Texas missions. Upon the recommendation of Jose de Escando, a Spanish Spanish colonizer and member of the Spanish military, the fort relocated one last time in 1749 to its present location along the San Antonio River near present-day Goliad for supporting and defending settlements along the Rio Grande. When built, the fort consisted of some small wooden structures and roughly 40 grass huts surrounded by a rectangular wall made of wooden poles. Decades later and after the end of the French and Indian War, Spain ordered surviving Texas forts closed except for Presidio la Bahia, which was then rebuilt with stone replacing the wood in the structures and walls. By the late 1700s, The fort included a quadrangular one-seventh mile in diameter defensive wall, rounded limestone bastions for cannons, officer's quarters, storehouses, workshops, and arsenal, and the Our Lady of Loretto Chapel, built at the northwest corner. The church had an impressive arch entrance, octagonal choir loft window, massive bell tower, and a small side chapel. At this time, being the sole Spanish fort located between the Rio Grande and Mississippi, Presidio La Bahia became a vital stopover for military and trade routes. In November 1812, during the beginnings of the Mexican War of Independence, Mexican revolutionary José Bernardo Gutiérrez de Lara, who vowed to liberate Texas, led an uprising that included support from U.S. Army Lieutenant Augustus McGee, disgruntled Spaniards, and adventurous Americans. The force of 300 men easily took control of Presidio La Bahia since Texas Spanish Governor Manuel Salcedo's intelligence suggested the invaders would strike San Antonio first. A few days later, Salcedo arrived with Spanish troops who proceeded to bombard the fort. After three months of skirmishes, a failed negotiation of surrender, and the sudden death of McGee by illness, Salcedo's forces retreated to San Antonio. The militia held on to the fort for a few more months before Spanish troops retook it. Presidio La Bahia was seized once again in October 1821 when disgruntled filibuster James Long and his troops captured the fort but could only hold it for a few days before surrendering. By this time, Mexico had won its independence from Spain and Presidio La Bahia was under Mexican control. Texas was now part of Mexico and combined with the province of Coahuila to form the state of Coahuila y Tejas. Concerned over Indian raids, the Mexican government relaxed immigration policies for the new state so long as immigrants supported Mexico's ban on slavery, practiced Mexico's official religion of Catholicism, and spoke Mexico's official language, Spanish. Americans moving to Mexico's were not accustomed to these types of restrictions. The Mexican government suddenly became concerned about the obvious instability and implemented laws that increased taxes on the land and prohibited further immigration to Texas. This, combined with a Mexican revolt in 1832, led by Antonio Lopez de Santa Anna, only encouraged Texians to take up arms. The Texas Revolution began October 2, 1835. The second battle of the revolution took place on October 9, 1835 at Presidio La Bahia, also known as the Battle of Goliad. There wasn't much of a battle as the fort's defenses were weak. Within 30 minutes, the Texians were in and the Mexicans were out. On February 12, 1835, Colonel James Fannin arrived at Presidio La Bahia on the request of General Sam Houston to defend Goliad. Fannin renamed Presidio La Bahia Fort Defiance. The Alamo fell on March 6, 1835 and when the news finally reached Houston, he ordered troops to abandon Presidio La Bahia, which Fannin and his men did, but Fannin delayed their retreat until March 19, 1835. The delay cost him and his men valuable lead time, which led to further delays because of a cart breakdown and his concern for his ox to graze. Ultimately, at Coleto Creek, Fannin and his men were surrounded by the Mexican cavalry, led by General José de Orea, for the remainder of the day and throughout the night, and low on supplies, including water, Fannin's men stayed on defense. However, the next morning, Fannin saw no way out and sought honorable terms for surrender. Fannin and his men, including the wounded, were marched back to Goliad and imprisoned in the Forts Our Lady of Loretto Chapel. Over the next few days, Texian prisoners from other battles were sent to Presidio La Bahia to await their fate. Then on Palm Sunday. March 27th, 1836, the unwounded prisoners were divided into three groups and marched in different directions from the fort. One group went west, another went north, and a third went southeast. From a half to three quarters of a mile from Presidio La Bahia, the three groups were stopped. On command, or a predetermined moment, guards shot the prisoners at close range, guaranteed not to miss. Most were killed immediately, Those who weren't were shot again, bayoneted, or lanced. When the cavalry returned to the fort, they brought the close to 40 wounded out of the chapel, laid them on the ground in front of the chapel doors, and shot them. Colonel Fannin was the last Texian to die. He was taken outside the chapel, blindfolded and seated in a chair next to a trench by the water gate. Knowing his fate, he made three requests. Not to be shot in the face, his personal belongings sent to his family and given a Christian burial. Instead, his captors shot him in the face, stole his personal belongings, and burned his body along with many others. This day became known as the Goliad Massacre. Twenty-eight men were able to escape the firing squad, and seventeen men's lives were spared, most of them from Francita Alavez wife of general uria and more commonly known today as the angel of goliad santa anna gave general Uriah the orders to execute the prisoners in the end uria would not do it in his place colonel portilla was tasked with carrying out santa anna's orders santa anna did not appear to be a compassionate leader instead he appeared to be like an ambitious weasel But when he gave the order to execute the prisoners he was bound by mexico's congressional decree of december 30th 1835 that armed rebels captured in states must be executed as pirates there is nothing to debate here the time the circumstances the countries involved that mattered then these men fought and died for a cause they believed in and over 186 years later They are still remembered for it that matters today in the 1850s presidio la bahia including the church was brought back from the state of texas and is owned by the catholic diocese of victoria texas the fort was restored in the 1960s and currently appears how it looked at the time of the goliad massacre in early spring of this year the diocese of victoria and the texas historic commission discussed a Presidio La Bahia partnership which would turn management and operation of the Presidio over to the state agency. According to Scott McMahon, director of Presidio La Bahia for the Diocese of Victoria, the partnership had been in the works for several years and that it would be a win-win, bringing more resources and expertise to help preserve the fort and enhance the historical interpretation for visitors. The Presidio currently employs two people, McMahon says, quote, There are things we need to do here that we really haven't been able to do. Some of it is due to funding. Some of it is just not having the right people to come tackle some of these projects. This is going to bring us a lot of resources we haven't had available to us. We are going to have a lot of people who can help with maintenance and upkeep of the property and the structures here. Finally, all the pieces are kind of coming together, end quote. The Diocese of Victoria would retain ownership of the Presidio, and the Our Lady of Loretto Chapel would remain a mission in the Immaculate Conception Parish in Goliad. While the Historical Commission would take over the staffing and historical interpretation with more resources through the agency, the only real change visitors might notice is different merchandise, Texas Historical Commission brand items in the gift shop. Upgrading the site's infrastructure will begin soon. Presidio La Bahia is both a state and national landmark. It is open year-round, apart from major holidays, and includes access to its history museum within the old officers' quarters, and its annual living history program through a series of reenactments that take place each March. Its chapel, Our Lady of Loretto, is one of the oldest extant churches in the United States, and is the only completely original structure in the fort. To this day, it continues offering mass on early Sunday evenings. Now let's talk about the paranormal activity that many have experienced, including our team. For a fair price for paranormal teams and others who wish to stay there, Presidio La Bahia offers the option to stay overnight in the quarters, a two-bedroom small apartment complete with three beds, a living and dining area with fireplace, a kitchen, a bathroom with a shower, and central heat and air conditioning. We will discuss air conditioning here shortly. The Quarters was once used as housing for Presidio's officers and most recently as a residence for diocesan priests. Staying overnight at the Quarters offers after hours access to the inner courtyard and quadrangle, except for the soldiers' barracks, which is reserved for reenactors. So at this time, we wanna talk about Misfit Apparitions experience last Labor Day in 2021. The first thing that comes to mind, in my mind, is the heat.
0: <laughs> it was very hot. I mean, hot. It was, uh, I mean, the quarters that we stayed in, uh, the AC was just running 24-7. And I... Don't, I what it was never cool? got below 78. Yeah, it never got below 78. And it was just on. I mean, uh, it's a really nice area to stay in oh yes it's very Um, nice but uh it was hot
1: and part of that is probably because the three doors that you go in and out of are just their makeshift construction it's just planks of wood there's no insulation Um, i mean there's probably at least two or three inches underneath the door um, to go outside so if you're afraid of snakes um, you may not want to stay there because that's a possibility
0: Oh yeah. 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 You snakes, rats, I oh, mean, yeah. you name it, they can crawl underneath those doors with
1: no problem. And the planks of wood, they're not, they're not lined up correctly. I, mean, I It's just a door. It's, it reminds me of kind of like a, uh, the old West type of thing. You yeah. Know,
0: you know, I mean, just... <laughs> don't think that you're staying in a fancy hotel because, uh, I mean, it, it still has the old style back in the day. Right. And, You know, when you're staying there, you feel that you're back in that time period, which is cool. Uh, So that's that's one good thing is staying there. But I don't recommend being there in summer.
1: Yeah. um, Try not to go during the months between April and probably October. Right. We all experienced, I think, except for probably Mike, but the way that we had did it when we were there and it's just nice being outside in a place that huge and you have the whole place to yourself so we what we did was we just kind of went in groups of two for about what 40 minutes or so and right. somebody yeah. stayed inside the quarters so two went in one stayed and then we swapped um, so when Ernest and I went out we kind of split up and Ernest took off towards the bastion on the uh, southeast side of the fort and uh, tell right. us what you
0: experienced? Oh, well, I was there, I was just there. I um, Unfortunately, I didn't have a recorder with me. But uh, as I was standing there, I, I would hear like, like thunder. And of course, it was a clear night. See the stars. That was awesome, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, living in a big city that we do, we don't get to see stars like that. But uh, then I was hearing strange growls. And off to the distance, that's where you see uh, the uh, memorial um, for the soldiers. And uh, there's a cemetery on the left-hand side. And when I was hearing the growls, I was like, oh, my God, is there a dog or a coyote or something out there? And then that's when I radioed you on and saying, hey, I'm hearing these weird noises, growls. And at that time, you were uh, walking around the whole uh, fort. And uh, so then when I called you over, what did you hear?
1: Um, Yeah, you had called me over and said, I'm hearing growls. And so that, okay, um, I'm like fast stepping it over to where you are. So this bastion that has a ramp that goes up to it. When you look on the other side, it's probably about 15 feet high. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, and I had like a GoPro cam on a helmet, which was on a bike helmet. So at that time, yeah, we were still green. We were modifying equipment. and So, yes. yeah, we were, we were there, and I, I heard the thunder first. And so the first thing I did was look at my phone to see if there was any rain around. Any, there was nothing, nothing around. And kept hearing that a couple times. And then I did hear the growl, and I remember looking over to see if there was a dog or right. a wolf or something. And yeah. it sounded like it was coming in an area called the soldiers barracks that we talked about that's reserved for reenactors so that's where it sounded like it was coming from
0: uh, that was i mean you could actually hear with your own ears i mean we didn't yeah. we didn't have any type of uh recorders or any equipment really except for that go GoPro, gopro that you had but yeah that that was interesting and, and the thunder is that was one thing It's you know clear night
1: yeah it was i don't know well we'll tell you what what it actually wound up being later but when we got back to the to the um to the room and it was really really late and all of us were really tired and we weren't really getting anything and and you know we were hungry for something so um i think well before that we all went out together and one of the one of the um interesting things about uh, this place and you need to prepare yourself for this because while it was while it was still light there, we had to kind of prearrange where we were going to set up. Outside, uh, the, in the big quadrangle, there's a huge tree and there's a couple benches there. And we thought, well, this would be a good place to set up at night. Yes. Uh, but when we went out there at night, we did not expect to see um, what we saw. <laughs> I mean... Mm-hmm.
0: These were huge spiders, huge webs.
1: This thing, this tree was a spider hanger. They were just mm-hmm. all over the place, and they were albino-looking, predator-looking spiders. Uh, Mike had taken his camera and got to get real close to one. I think it reached out for the camera.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it was trying to bite him. The thing looked huge, man.
1: These things were just humongous. And uh
0: I didn't sit down.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that we did that. Can you imagine us taking all our equipment out there, setting up, only to see all these spiders up in the trees? Just, oh no, no, no. <laughs> and the uh, the bullfrogs that were, or I don't know if they were bullfrogs, but they were frogs that maybe looked like they came. They were part of a. Uh, they were.
0: They were all over the grass.
1: Drinking nuclear water or something. They were just they were,
0: huge. They were lifting weights. <laughs> That's all I know. They were huge.
1: A big. And ant mounds. Steroids. And and there was this one cannon on the um, east side of the back of the church inside the fort that had this bee's nest that must have been the size of two fists. It was enormous. Um, Yeah, there was a lot of things not used to seeing, but interesting.
0: Yes, it was. It was interesting. Just to add to that, of course... We said that it was hot that day, it was hot during the night, but uh, we did visit the church before yes. it closed down, and actually were there on a day that they did have Mass. Yeah, it was a Sunday. It was a Sunday, but before Mass, we went in there and we took some pictures, uh, we have that on our website, um, that was very beautiful, it, it, I mean, it was just, I mean, it, you go back in time when you're there.
1: Yes, this is the church that all the wounded prisoners were being housed awaiting their fate. So they were all in there and there is a actual graves site right in front of the church of a woman. It was very difficult to read the the text on the stone, um, but I think you and Mike figured it out. I don't remember what it was right now, but right there in the front and it's probably where around the area that um, Colonel Fanning was, was shot in the face. It was getting late. I know it was past three o'clock and we were just tired, at least I was. So, um, Ernest and I shared a room that had two separate beds. Mike took the, the big bed. I had set up some cameras to record the rooms that we were in, at least the one that we were Ernest and I were in. I left the left recording on a chair Unfortunately, it cut off at a um, or prior to a moment, which could have been interesting. Ernest will tell us about it.
0: Yes. Um, yeah, in our, the, beds, the bedroom that we were staying in, uh, there's a door that leads out to the courtyard. And uh, so I want to say it was probably 4.20, 4.30 in the morning. And um, I was half asleep. I couldn't sleep. And uh, that's when I heard the door rattle, like the, like the doorknob. Someone at that time thinking someone was trying to get in, but actually it's the opposite. Somebody was trying to get out because there's no door or knob on the other side. So right when that happened, I looked up and I was like, Don, Don, he was fast asleep, he was gone. So I was the only one up and I was like, Oh, well, we got a cat, you know, I, I saw my, you know, my watch, the time on there. And then I asked Don, I said, hey, you got to re- fast forward to this time of the night of the recording. But unfortunately, the uh, camera, did it lose power or just
1: It just, uh, it, yeah, the battery, had oh, the battery ran out. Oh, the
0: battery ran out. It was, I think it was like minutes before that time <laughs> that the battery ran out. I and mean, we were like disappointed, but uh, that would have been a good good catch because it actually happened
1: yeah you can see you in the bed tossing and turning and you were just the whole night
0: the whole night i was just tossing and i couldn't I, get it i couldn't get comfortable
1: and look at me i don't think i moved the entire you time i recorded move. i did not move i was on my side nothing no Didn't move you
0: at were all. you were gone and then mike <laughs> i and that's another thing uh the other thing that i was uh being so restless during the night I kept hearing things in the living room, or I don't know what would you call it, but for me, it's like a living room area where you had the couch, the fireplace, the table, and Mike was on the other side um, in his bed. And I remember asking Mike, I said, "Dude, did you get up like during the night, and you know, either went to the bathroom or went out to the get a smoke break?" And he was like, "No, I never, I didn't ever wake up." So I did hear a lot of strange noises. Unfortunately, nothing was caught. But you know, I heard it with my own ears. It's uh, it's it's pretty cool.
1: You you have that gift, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) But Um, I need
0: others to witness.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think cold. I don't know. We'll talk about that later. But um, so I got up early. I don't think uh, early, but I slept a few hours. And so in the quarters on the coffee table there are these journals. I don't know, five or six of them that guests can write their experiences down. So I started reading some of them and then started writing about our experience. And I came across the reason or what we thought was thunder. What that actually was, was cannon fire. Multiple entries in these journals referred to hearing these and thought it was thunder. When actually it's just, Cannon fire and I've seen it on websites that people talk about that. So there's just a lot of residual energy there Um, It's incredible um, To hear that and just I no explanation That's just amazing to me that that energy is still there after all those years
0: I just want to make a note that uh, when I was talking about hearing thunder It it wasn't like a huge boom. It was a faint yeah. So that's why you were both like, is that thunder? Or, you know, that's why we were looking at the weather. So, you know, for them to say in the journals that that's, uh, you know, a cannon fire from back in the day, you know, I don't know. I, I think I believe it because it was very faint. It wasn't like a, a huge thunder that, you know, we, yeah. we hear during a storm.
1: So the good news about all of this is that we're going back. Next yes,
0: month. Uh, we're going back in uh, next month, December. Which, yes. Uh, <laughs> weather's gonna be a little cooler or a lot cooler than what it was yes almost um, a year ago.
1: The only thing that would make it worse is there's like a strong wind and it just goes right through those doors. <laughs> that that would make it bad. <laughs> yeah. But you can always bundle up, you know, and when, when you're in a hot place like that, you there's really nowhere else to go but nudity and I don't think any any of us wanted that so we shouldn't be sweating at all but yeah we are returning december 19th 19th, yeah yeah so that'll be
0: uh... oh i wanted to add one more thing don um is when we were staying there and this was during the day because during the day when we i think we checked in at 3 Mm -hmm. p.m so at 3 p.m you know we checked in just like normal hotel and so we were getting our stuff ready we were you know charging our batteries etc and we've had two uh people come in from the courtyard and we're like they come in like "Uh, oh i'm sorry and it's like (laughs) and then one time from the other side of the door these uh a gentleman and his son came in and then he looked at us and he's like is this the church like no, it's yep. not the church. The church is around the corner on the other side. So that was pretty. That was pretty funny. That first time we were, here, huh? <laughs> that was pretty, for people to walk in, and I'm glad none of us were taking showers.
1: Ooh, <laughs> oh, yeah, or having a uh, quote Tupperware party. <laughs> but yeah, as
0: John Don just said, we are going back.
1: Yeah, we're looking forward to that. That's. It'll be during our Christmas break. Um, We work in a school district. So when the kiddies get two weeks off at Christmas time, so do we. (laughs) Right. And so we get a lot of our our stuff done at that time. It's like going up to Villisca in Iowa during Thanksgiving break because they're out, we're out.
0: Yeah, I think uh, this time we're not, we've got a couple of investigations under our belt. So we kind of have a good plan on this one than we did before.
1: Oh, yeah. We were green as hell last year, but not this time. I think we're ready for Velisca. We've got all the equipment that we need and we've got some smart people on the team um, that are experienced. Um, The only challenge will be the weather. All right. Um, I've got nothing else to add to this. Um, This was a really good um, episode, I thought, in terms of the history, um, considering that we live in this state and It's people that are born and bred here, they take the history here very seriously. So, um, it was really a lot of fun to research this.
0: Yes, um, and thank you, Don.
1: No problem. Hey, listeners, thank you for listening. Um, We both wish you a little less stress in your lives during the prelude to this holiday season.
0: Oh, I'd like to say one thing. Okay. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone.
1: You will not hear from us until after Thanksgiving when we will um, our next episode will will be dropped. So yes, enjoy the um, the break. Enjoy your family and your friends and and just be thankful. So we'll see you next time on the podcast. Bye. Bye.